We're going to press on tonight with the, this, this series, and we're going to look at a, one of the most important sections of the Bible for what it feels like and what it means to be a Christian as a college student, as for my generation, the millennials. I, I, this is, I think, one of the most important things that's happening in, in, our, in your life, in my life, in our campus, in our state, in our country. Um, so it's really important, uh, and, and we'll get into that. But before we do that, I just gotta, I'm going to just tell you straight up right now. I'm going to say things that are possibly trigger warnings. Uh, so this, here it is. I'm going to touch on some hard things like abuse, um, some hard and some sad things. Um, but then, of course, we get to the good news of Jesus and how he cares for and provides and heals in the midst of all that. Um, but before we can get to the good things that Jesus does and is, we have to look at the hard things. So, um, and we're going to look at the bad things that people do to people. And so uh, I just want you all to know that. Feel it out as you're going through. If you need to step out, that's fine. Uh, if you want to talk and process with Rachel or with me, that's fine. Um, but this needs to be talked about, so we're going to talk about it. Um, so I heard, uh, I'll start this way, I heard a report on the radio a couple weeks ago. The Catholic Church uh, released a report in France uh, about, uh, it was a report that was investigating uh, literally, I mean, hundreds of thousands, six digits of um, cases of sexual abuse um, by priests in, in, uh, in France over the past 100 years or 50 years or just this, this time period. And so the, the, the church, the Catholic church in France is trying to figure out what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? And there's all these questions about payments and litigation and, you know, it's this big mess. Um, but it's not just a Catholic problem. It's not just a France problem. The Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest Protestant or Christian denomination in the U.S., is caught up in a huge scandal right now, if you know anything about this, um, around sexual abuse, cover-up by leadership, um, and spiritual abuse. And so they're just being shredded um, by, how are we going to deal with this? What are we going to do with, with, these, um, with this abusive leadership, basically? It's not just the Baptists. Earlier this semester, if you know, you know, uh, there was this podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Some of you listen to it, some of you don't know what I'm talking about. But what it is, it was a podcast that talked about um, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse in a semi-reformed church, which is the denomination or the, the, the version of theology that I'm a part of, that we're a part of. Uh, and my own tradition, the Presbyterian Church, we have our own issues in the same thing of spiritual, emotional, sexual abuse, of leaders, religious leadership, doing wicked things to the people under their care. Religious leadership is a massive problem in our world, and I don't care who you are, Catholic, Christian, charismatic, Presbyterian, Baptist, sort of the whole gamut. Uh, it's, it's a problem. In fact, I would say one of the top reasons, I'll put this in my top three reasons, why people in your generation and my generation are saying, I'm done with faith, I'm done with faith, is because they have seen or experienced hurt, harm, and abuse from, from someone who's involved in religion, someone in the church, someone in leadership. And the number, one of the number one reasons why your peers, maybe you, are walking away from faith is because of the sins and moral failures of spiritual leaders. In fact, some of you here tonight, you're looking at me and you're saying, I can't trust that person. And I can't, that, that things have happened to me in my story, in my life, 
that I, I just, I'm here, but I'm listening with my, with, 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 I'm listening with my hands up. And that might be fair if you've experienced the big A abuse, the big T trauma of, from a religious leader. And, and I'll just say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened in your story. That's tragic. It shouldn't have happened. It should not have happened. And tonight, we're going to look at how Jesus deals with leaders in religious organizations who fail their people, who hurt their people. And we're going to look and see how Jesus the King cares for, provides, and, and, and care, yeah, cares for people who, who've had that happen. So we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the religious leader problem then and now, and we're going to look at the king's solution. So the religious leader problem and the king's solution. So um, as I'm talking up here, if you have questions, my phone number is on your little handout. Shoot me a text and I will dialogue with them. I can't say I'll answer them, but I will at least respond to some of your questions. And if it's a big one, uh, we can get a cup of coffee and talk about it uh, some more. Um, so uh, and then, so I'm not going to read this whole text because it's big. Well, I will read it eventually. I'm going I'm to read pieces of it and then... Uh, we're going to read it as we go along. But I will read this first bit, and then I'll pray and we'll dig in. So this, let's just look at the first three verses. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Let me pray. Father in heaven, um, we know that you care a lot about your creation because your word tells us that. And yet, we live in a world that's really broken and hurtful, and we've maybe been on the pointy end of that. Lord, I pray as we study how you are in the business and work as king of reclaiming your kingdom, that you would give us hope, that you would give us encouragement tonight, that we would be able to look at hard things, but then see your grace and your mercy and your power are greater. Be with me and be with these friends as they're listening. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so the religious leader problem. The religious leader problem. And so where we're at in the book of Matthew is we're at a part in, in, in Matthew's story of Jesus, this sort of biography of Jesus, where Jesus is beginning to conclude or finish his earthly ministry. And, uh, and while he's doing that, things are starting to really heat up in, uh, in his, around him. And, and what's happening is he's making enemies. <laughs> The people, particularly the religious leaders around him, are feeling more and more friction and heat from Jesus about what they're doing, and, and, and they're, they're, they're mad at him. And the, the, the leaders of the day, the religious leaders of the day, had a name. They were called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were like a mix of a political and a religious group. And they, today they would sort of, not one-to-one, -one, but sort of map on to uh, today's pastors and today's priests. Right? They're the religious experts of the day. They're the ones who know the Bible. They're the theological teachers of the day. Uh, they were the ones who uh, were, were, were telling, gathering the spiritual communities together, instructing them on how to uh, follow God. And so th this is the group. And Jesus finds himself over and over and over again in deep theological and conversational conflict with this group called the Pharisees. Jesus only has hard words for them. If you study how Jesus interacts with them over his life, he's never easy on them. He's constantly criticizing and critiquing them. 
And look what he says in verses 1 through 3. He says, yeah, they have some authority. They follow in the tradition of Moses. Moses was the spiritual authority for Jews, for the Jewish people. He was the guy. He was the, so he says, yes, they have some authority. They sit in Moses' chair. They teach what Moses taught. But, Jesus says, there is a cancer and there is a systemic problem in them, among them. Verse 3, and it's that they don't practice what they preach. They do and they observe whatever, do and observe whatever they tell me, but not the works that they do, for they preach, but they do not practice, verse 3 tells us. And what does that mean? What do we call that when you do one thing, when you say one thing and do another? You're a hypocrite. It's hypocrisy, right? And here Jesus touches on probably the source of all the problem that we get in spiritual leadership, right? Is hypocrisy. They say one thing and then they go and turn around and do the opposite. And that's, what, that's the problem that besets spiritual leaders is hypocrisy. They hurt and harm people whom they're supposed to care for. They say one thing and they do another. And so, and so in, in what's happening here is Jesus begins to pronounce seven woes. Seven woes on these spiritual leaders. And a woe is like a curse or a pronouncement of, of divine justice, vengeance on them. It's literally the word in, in the original Greek is an onomatopoeia, so it sounds like what it means of like, I want you to cry. I want you to moan. I want you to be unhappy. So he's saying Whoa, be unhappy, you Pharisees, you religious leaders. Be judged, be condemned. And, and a woe in that sense, it becomes, it's the opposite of a beatitude. If you remember, we looked a couple weeks ago at the beatitudes, which are the blessings, which are the literally be happy, be joyful, be rejoicing that, God, that Jesus proclaims over those who follow him. Now, in contrast, he says, be miserable, be terrified, be condemned, you spiritual leaders who are doing great harm. So we're going to look at them quickly, and then we'll, we'll summarize. So verse 13, verse 13, he says, But woe, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go to enter in. And so here Jesus says that they are people who are closing off others to spiritual knowledge. They, they have the access to the kingdom of heaven, but they're saying, but they're closing people off. They're slamming the door on it. They're not teaching true religion. They're teaching their own bastardized version of faith. This is the religious leader who does not teach Jesus, but closes people off from knowing and worshiping Jesus to some other error. They've rejected Jesus' kingdom, and so they're hurting other people in doing that. Jesus says, woe on you for that. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and the land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. What does this one mean? Well, this one means, hey, you, you religious leaders, you go, you'll go to great lengths. You'll travel miles and miles to make one person who will follow you. That's what a proselyte is. It's like a convert. He says, you'll go to infinite lengths to try and make someone follow you, but then you know what you do? You turn them into fanatics. You turn them into the kind of people that Twitter hates. You turn them into religious radicals who will then go and do heinous things in the name of religion. 
You don't train them, you don't fall, make them actually into truly pious religious people, but you make them into someone who's even worse than yourself. And I think of so many pastors today whose followers on social media are just hellions. <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. Verse 16, Woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. What's going on here? Well, they're misinterpreting the Bible. So he says, you know how to read the Bible, but you're doing it wrong, and it's your fault. And what he means is you're, you're getting lost in the weeds. You're, you're missing the forest for the trees. You're making these weird, minute laws about swearing by the gold of the temple versus the temple itself. That's just not what the whole process of making a promise and about the value of the temple, that's not what it's about. He says, this is, a, this is a religious leader that distracts someone from what really matters, the teachings of Christ and Christ himself. This is, like a, this, is a, this is someone who majors in the minors and minors in the majors. This is the religious leader who gets so caught up in their political agenda that they forget to, to talk about Jesus. This is someone who gets so caught up in some weird theory from the Bible that they've found that they forget to teach Jesus. Non-important, abstract thoughts. Something other than the core of Christianity, which is to love God and love neighbor. He says, you're a bad guide, you're a blind man. Verse 23, if you skip down just a little bit, you can read these all later on your own, but he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So here Jesus is saying, you are so caught up in making sure every single piece of how you give, all of your money is taken. You make sure that you give everything and you make sure everybody else is giving all their money. You're obsessed with money. You're obsessed with the smallest piece that God asks you to give, herbs, that you're doing that. But the main thing that God asks of his people, the main thing that God asks of spiritual leaders, compassion, charity, mercy, kindness, grace, you've forgotten all that. You've neglected the things that are closest to God's heart, things like justice and compassion and charity and mercy, both on a social level and on a personal level. Verse 25, it goes on. Jesus is pouring it on here. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside is full of greed and indulgence. Here they're greedy and self-indulging. Their worst habits, their worst impulses, he says, you just act on those things. They preach morality and chastity, but are actually slaves to their worst appetites. Verse 26, this is a powerful image. Sorry, sorry, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. I mean, that's a powerful image that Jesus is piecing together of spiritual leaders of, 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 of yeah, he says, I mean, what an image, and yet how true is that of a religious leader who would sexually abuse children? Looks good on a Sunday morning. But then when it comes down to it, what's inside? Vile, wicked, horrible things. You get the idea. They go on to this. Jesus is indicting 
religious leaders who are inconsistent and hypocritical in between their teachings and their lives. He has nothing but condemnation for them. Now, what about today? Well, the sad reality is that there are pastors and spiritual leaders who all too easily can fit this description. You know that better than I do. You've sat under it. You've you've felt it. You've experienced this on a personal level. Some of you maybe in a more painful way than others of you. A hundred years ago, being a pastor was actually a social asset. People looked at you like, oh, that's a, that's a, he's a pastor. He's a, he's, a, he's a spiritual leader. He's the moral one. Not so today. And it's, it's partially because pastors and spiritual leaders have done such harmful things in our, in our society. Some of us, it's because pastors preach you know, the gospel of Jesus. And, and, and you know, some of us think, well, that's, that's hard. And it causes us to chafe. And so sometimes you know, pastors say these things and, and they actually are they're saying things that the Bible says and we don't like them for that. And, and we, need to give, we need to let the Bible speak for itself and let it challenge us and not blame the pastor for that. But when the pastor is inconsistent within his own self, systemically, consistently, unrepentantly, there's a huge significant problem there. Sometimes religious leaders, sometimes religious leaders deserve the criticism. Like I said, one of the biggest reasons why you and your peers, why my peers are walking away from the faith right now is because of the hurt and harm of religious organizations. And that's a reality of campus. That's probably a reality even in this room. Now, I have to say a few caveats here. Not every moment of the pastor hurt me is a Pharisee level like Jesus calling down woe on a person. Sometimes pastors do and say things that hurt because they're, they're preaching what the Bible says, which hurts. Sometimes the Bible does convict us. Sometimes the Bible does say things that offend our sensibilities. Sometimes it's the Bible convicting us, but then it's the Bible convicting us. It's not some pastor saying one thing and doing something else that's dreadfully damaging to our bodies and our societies. And sometimes we, you know, sometimes we as pastors, we can just say silly, hurtful, unwise, wrong things and, and, and be just broken, sinful men, broken, sinful women. And sometimes we're hypocritical and we're just, we're just sinful, bad people sometimes. Like, I hope that that doesn't mean that they're all bad, that all of our characters are bad. I hope that for myself, like, yes, I'm a sinful person. I have said and done things in this room to people that I have to repent of. Like, man, I, there's times where I meet with a student, I'm like, man, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Please forgive me. I was a hypocrite. I'm sorry. Um, so, uh, you know... We, I, pastors, we're sinful, imperfect people. So this is not a let's beat up on all pastors and the church sermon. This is a, ultimately, it's a look how much greater Jesus is than any pastor sermon. And we'll look at that in a second. But what's going on here is that Jesus is denouncing a whole system and an unrepentant pattern of leaders who consistently fail morally and in theologically with unchanged hypocrisy. That's what Jesus is criticizing here. Jesus is denouncing a whole system and an unrepentant pattern of leaders who are consistently failing in morally and theologically errors and unchanged hypocrisy. And so to that, Jesus has Full blanket, just uncharted condemnation. Woe on you, you hypocrites. 
And so here we have Jesus pronouncing woes on religious leaders, and we say that is, goes those all too well apply to our own experience today. So where's the good news in this? Is there good news? Where is the heart of the king at work in this? Well, it's less present in this passage that we're looking at and more present in the whole book of Matthew and the whole book that the Bible is showing, weaving together. And so before we look at how the grace of the king and the good news of the king is at work in this mess, let's look at maybe what, a couple of what I would call inappropriate or misguided approaches to how we could respond to this. Well, um, how we could respond to the mess of harmful leaders. The first, I think, is the temptation to just reject the church, just reject organized religion completely. And just say, like, this is particularly tempting right now in our lives today because religious content is all on the Internet, so you can get all the content you want from podcasts and YouTube and whatever you want. So you can still, you know, virtual church. Second, our society is recovering from a pandemic, and so all of us are out of practice of being involved in religious communities. Uh, And third, uh, the church is just such a political mess. It's so caught up in the right and the left with politics that we're like, I don't want to be a part of this. And so it's really tempting in all of that, of where we are today, just be like, I'm just not going to be a part of any sort of religious organization. I have my faith. My faith is between me and God. I pray. I read the Bible. I come to RUF now and again. uh, And and that's good enough. And I, I don't think that's... I don't think that's right, and we'll talk about that in a second. The other option here is to just reject faith completely, to just completely deconstruct the faith and just say, I'm done. I'm done with this whole thing. To say, if this is how the leaders act, then I'm out. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you find yourself tonight. Maybe you've grown up in a church, maybe you've just, and you just had it. Or maybe you're looking on the outside in, you read the news, you look at the statistics, and you say, I want nothing to do with this. I'm out. And I don't think that Jesus would call us to either one of those. And let's see what Jesus does. Let's look at what Jesus has to say here. And again, this is more of a a big picture of Matthew than in our text, per se. But there is something here that is in our text, and and it's this, that first of all, notice that Jesus, Jesus notices the problem. Isn't that interesting? Jesus notices the problem, not just here, but all over the Gospels. Jesus is locked in theological battle with the religious leaders because of their failures. And here he says, I call down curses on you because of your hypocrisy. Jesus is God himself. When Jesus calls down a curse, it means something. Jesus is the one who gets to say, you are wrong." What you are doing is hypocritical, and you will be judged for it. He's calling down justice. And, and, and for the, in the case of the, the Pharisees and scribes here, that actually happens. The, he calls down destruction on them, and that happens to, to the Pharisees in 70 AD. The Romans came into Jerusalem, and they completely destroyed the whole Pharisaical system. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed the, They killed a bunch of them. And a lot of scholars, I mean, this was written after, the book of Matthew was written after this happened. So anyone who's reading Matthew is filtering what Jesus is saying. They're saying, hey, you know what happened 10 years ago? Jerusalem and the Pharisaical system was destroyed. Jesus meant something when he judged this system. What I want you to see here is that Jesus cares about bad leaders and wicked, wicked religious systems, both then and now. 
Jesus says, I'm not going to let this slide. Whatever's happening in our churches, he says, this is not just going to, I'm not going to ignore this. I will judge wicked men for wicked deeds. And if you've been in the receiving of this, this text shows you that the heart of the king cares for the pain and the suffering and the abuse that you have felt. The little ones all the way to the big ones. He cares about that. Jesus is not just like, we'll just brush it aside. No, he says, I care about abuse victims. I care about abusive leaders. He's not blind. He's not passive. Jesus is not in bed with religious powers that harm the powerless. He acts with vengeance and with justice and with special anger for the wicked people who harm his people and who harm his church. And friends, it's not just Jesus. The whole Bible shows us that this is what God is about. Where Paul curses religious experts who teach a false gospel. Or the Old Testament prophets denounce religious leaders for their hypocrisy. Listen to this. Peter says this. He says, false prophets and false teachers will be among you. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. That's good news for abuse victims. Most of Jude's letter, the second to last book of the Bible, most of his letter is a condemnation of wicked teachers. John says the same thing in his letters. Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy. All over the Bible, God says over and over and over again, I care about religious leaders who do harmful things to the people who follow me. The Bible cares about spiritual abuse. Jesus cares about spiritual abuse. He is active. And as our king, the whole Bible, it shows that he cares for people who are afflicted by spiritual leaders. But that's not just it. Jesus not only cares about it, but he actually begins to build new communities. He begins to build new communities. One of the major themes of the book of Matthew is called the kingdom of heaven. We actually saw it in, uh, what was it, in verse 13, where he says, you shut out the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. We've seen this across the book of Matthew, that the reason that, Matthew says, the reason that Jesus came to, to earth was to establish a new community called the kingdom of heaven, which is a place where the king, Jesus, rules and reigns in perfect justice, Perfect peace, perfect love for neighbor and for God, perfect righteousness, perfect holiness. Where Jesus comes to bring everything that we need and long for and desire in our lives and in our society. And so Jesus is he's coming as king to establish a new faithful community, to supplant and remove wicked leaders, and to establish a new community, kingdom, church, of people who will follow him rightly. This is the key. He condemns the old religious leaders and he commissions new better ones. He condemns abusive religious leaders and he commissions new ones. The book of Matthew, we see that over and over again, the 12 apostles, they are Jesus saying, we're going to start over. We're going to create a new community of people who will follow me rightly. We're going to create a new community of people who will, who will do seek justice, who will seek mercy, peace, righteousness. And at the very end of Matthew, he tells these disciples, he says, go make, another, make, make disciples, make more of people who are like you. 
And so theology, we call this the invisible church, which is the true followers of Jesus around the world who rightly serve him. That Jesus the King does create a kingdom and he commissions good leaders into that church, good church leaders. And that means that even as broken, as possibly harmful as the visible and physical church can be, there is always a good and pure invisible church that is guarded by the King and by his good shepherds. That Jesus is constantly at work commissioning and creating a community where it's safe, to be broken, where it's safe to learn to follow Jesus a little bit more. Jesus, this means that Jesus is constantly removing bad leaders and replacing them with good leaders. So there's, there's no such thing as like believing but not belonging. That's a real temptation for many of us, is to believe but not belong. To, to say, yes, I follow Jesus, but I don't belong in religious organizations. I, I, I can't do that. The, Friends, no place in the Bible does the no place does the Bible ever hint or approve or condone of leaving the physical and visible body of believers. Following Jesus means being involved in a physical body of believers. And I know you think, Jonathan, how can that be? Frying out of the frying pan into the fire. I've just been hurt so badly. And Jesus would say, Yes, I know. Let's find a place where we can begin to heal those wounds. Let's find a place where you can sit at the feet of the gentle and lowly Savior who cries out for justice, woe, vengeance against wicked leaders. The Bible never shows any follower of Jesus doing their faith alone, detached from a visible church organization. And so I, I challenge you to find that in the Bible. It doesn't exist. No place that I've found. And this means... That as broken and as fallen and as abusive as religious leaders can be, the Bible does not give you the freedom to reject the people of God. So where does this leave us? I think it leaves us in two places. First, for every look that we look at a bad leader, we have to take three looks at the king. We have to take three looks at the good king who cares for and condemns, sorry, who cares for the abused and condemns the abusers who commissions new communities, who cares and heals you and me from our old hurts. Jesus is that gentle and lowly king who wants to bring you into a community of healing, restoration, and peace. Second, I think it's called, this is a call then to press in to, to, to being part of creating that new community. The, the true church has always been and will always be a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. That's true of me. That's true of all y'all. We go to the church, we go into churches saying, I am still a mess and I need a Savior who will save me. And so ask that. Ask your, ask your spiritual leaders, how is Jesus humbling you? Where are you learning to repent? Ask me that. I need you to ask me that. But if someone's just like, I'm past that. No, that is a recipe for a disaster. Find a spiritual community where the, everybody is learning to follow Jesus by humbly repenting of their sin. Y'all, the church is a mess. Religious people can hurt people. But this text shows us that Jesus is a caring king and a judging king who is constantly forming and reforming his kingdom community on earth. That's good news. That means we're not just stuck down here to try and figure out what to do with the abuse and the pain that we've experienced. That means that there, Jesus is constantly forming new communities of peace, justice, righteousness, goodness, love. And as messy as the church is, 
it becomes rehearsing and practicing for that kingdom. And so that the heart of the king, that's the heart of the king, the good news of a king who supplants wicked abusers and redeems sinners and builds new communities and kingdoms. Let me pray. Lord in heaven, um, this is a challenging topic for many of us. It's challenging for me. And I'm a pastor. I can imagine how challenging it is for people here. And yet we have to look and see you as a good king who brings justice um, and who heals the brokenhearted. You promise us that those of us who are most broken, you are most gentle with. So I pray that you would do that um, with each one of us in the ways that we specially need and that you would indeed build your kingdom here in our lives, in our campus, in our state, in our world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.